Welcome back to the Make or Break show, where each week we bring you stories of incredible makers and the make or break moments that define them along the way. This week we chat with Donovan, the beardless man, about how he built a Game Boy and cartridge using plywood and a really cool laser cutter. up guys welcome back this is a special edition of the show the make or break showcase and in this case we are showcasing donovan at i am the beardless man over on instagram he is making some really fun geek dad diy projects i encourage you guys to check him out uh, and the one that really stuck to me was this laser cut uh game boy that he built and what's really cool is it's got these interchangeable cartridges with Zelda and Mario, uh, and he's making some some really full, fun stuff. You might have actually seen his build last year, where he made a Millennium Falcon theater for his kids to lay in that holds an iPad, uh, and that one is is really cool. You're gonna enjoy this. Donovan has a film background, so we talk about how that has influenced his current work as a maker uh, and his journey just into making. So let's dive into our interview with Donovan. want to welcome you guys back to the uh, Make or Break show. We're hanging out with Donovan today, uh, the beardless man, uh, calling all the way from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, man, thank you so much for, for jumping on with me and, uh, and chatting. It's, uh, it's going to be fun. I want to first off ask you, so the beardless man, where did that come from? I see your logo right behind you right now. You definitely don't have a beard. Uh, yep. No. Uh, contrary to what some people think when they hear the beardless man, it's not ironic I really don't have a beard. Uh, it's it's more genetic than uh, than choice. I can't grow a beard. Yep. Uh, my dad was the same way. His first day in the army, he shaved once, and then he took his razor blade out of his out of his shaver, and uh, and never shaved again the entire time he was in the military. And yeah, I'm I'm kind of, I'm not like that. I just I can't grow I can't grow facial. <laughs> so why uh, why did that kind of stick for a name for you when you're well, I uh, I actually used to be in the film industry. Uh, I started a film production company after I graduated college and couldn't find a job in the area that I studied in college. And so I uh, I had a passion for film and and for you know producing movies and things like that. And so I started a production company and was doing that for a long time. And then uh, about summer of 2015. I thought maybe uh, that I should get out of the industry. And so January of 2016, uh, I made the decision to, to uh, try something different. And so I started a blog and uh, I have two kids. I'm a dad. I, I like making stuff for my kids. Um, but uh, my, my mom taught me a lot when I was a kid. And so I, I can sew, I can, you know, cook, I can like make things that are typically effeminate. And so I wanted to start this blog about, about doing things for your kids or making things for your kids, but you know, in a, in a manly way, like yeah. sewing, but like a man or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, crocheting, but like a man. Um, and I called it hand forged fatherhood and, you know, did the whole, I tried to do the weekly posts and things like that. And after about a month and a half, I realized that the blog format wasn't for me. And so I, I let go of that idea. And uh, throughout 2016, I kept having this recurring feeling that I should just get out of the film industry and try something different. And so January 1st of 2017, um, I would I had made the decision to to leave that career path behind and to try something completely different. And so I decided that I wanted to open a wood shop and I wanted to um, make things. 
because uh, the film industry, I, I, I love film. I have a passion for it and all that kind of stuff, but it's, it's a very demanding industry to be in. And uh, we had started pre-production on a feature film and I just realized that uh, everything that needed to be done in order to accomplish this dream of, you know, producing a feature film and everything like that uh, would mean that I would have to sacrifice time with my family, which is what I really didn't want to do. And so I decided to get out in industry and do something where I could still produce video content, but I could do it with my family rather than doing it with, you know, actors and production company and things like that. And so I decided to do a wood shop and to make videos. And I was trying to figure out what to name it. And um, I have this shirt that has that has a little face kind of like that, you know, with a beard on it. And I was like, I'd, I really like manly things. And, you know, and, you know, the whole lumberjack thing and wood and, you know, I, I like the whole manly things, but I can sew, which is not a manly thing. Um, I have a higher than normal pitched voice, which is not very manly. Um, and, you know, I cook, I clean, I can do also the kind of stuff, which atypically isn't very manly. I'm kind of I am kind of a conundrum of manliness. I like manly things, but I but I am not manly. And so it just kind of clicked in that moment where I'm like, well, how do you describe somebody who likes manly things but is not manly? A beardless man. Because, you know, the the later part of the 2010s, you know, beards were all the rage. Everybody had a beard. And you saw those things uh, around that's like, you know, real men don't shave or just stuff like that. And so I thought it was a kind of a quippy conundrum uh, to say the beardless man. And that's after I had that thought, it, it kind of stuck. And I just, I, I went with it. I rolled with it. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it and definitely stuck. It. Yeah. And it's uh, the branding is, is great. Cause I think the first time I saw your logo, it was the small version. So I didn't realize the text was in there too. And so I think the first glance, I was like, is this like Ron Burgundy? Like, is this a, uh, is this Nick Offerman something <laughs> I'm looking at? I was like, wait a minute. No, this is, this is a little bit different. So uh, that's cool. Well, I want to go back then. Uh, I definitely want to talk to you about film. Uh, but even before that, you mentioned growing up uh, and just making, like, was that the something part of your childhood? Like whether it's sewing, like were you kind of that kid who's always just breaking something and putting it back together? Um, breaking, yeah, breaking things, not necessarily <laughs> putting it back together, but I was okay. very good at breaking things. But um, my dad was a uh, a contractor um, by hobby for for several years, and so growing up around the house, we we already we always did things ourselves. You know, we re- remodeled our house, we built a shed in the backyard, we built a fort in the backyard. Um, and then as I got older, uh, I would actually go out and help my dad remodel these, these ancient homes that were built in like the late 1800s, early 1900s, like amazing home. Cause I grew up in Montana. And so, you know, mountain men homes, things like that. And so a lot of the, you know, the construction and the woodworking and the, the manly side of making, I learned from my dad. And then, you know, my mom was very, my mom is very crafty. Um, and she's very good at, at, she's, she's very much a maker and a creator. And she's always, she's like me. Well, I'm like her, like she's always making things, whether it's like quilts for family or baby blankets or, or sewing little ducks that poop jelly beans or, you know, whatever. Um, 
you know, she's always making. And so all of the the manly side of making, I learned from my dad and everything else I learned from my mom. And so I, I grew up in that atmosphere where both of my parents were always, you know, they were always just creating something, which kind of bred in me just this almost itchy, I have to, I have to create something. I have to make something. And so, um, you know, being in this space, being in this community, actually, it's, feels, it feels right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Was there a certain type of making you did growing up or was it just all over the board? Uh, Legos. Okay. Yeah. I was all about Legos as a kid. Uh, I tried getting into like erector sets and things yeah. like that, but it, no, I, uh, uh, it was, it was always Legos and trying to build my own things. I, um, I, I remember building like this, this, two foot high Santa, you know, 3d Lego Santa, um, that I was like so proud of. And, uh, I took it, my dad worked for the airport at the time and I took it to go show my dad. And I was so excited that I was like running through the parking lot of the airport and I tripped and it fell and it shattered everywhere. And so I'm like, I'm sitting here trying to put everything back together. Cause I was so proud of these Lego creations that I would build. And, uh, my mom would build these, um, these, sceneries for my Legos to go on. Like I was really into like pirate ships and, uh, and things like that. And so we had, we had fabric, uh, oceans and islands and mainlands. And, and we used to create these just monstrosities of Lego and, and just these scenes where I could, you know, play and my imagination could run wild. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, Legos, definitely. The pirate ship, especially. My my Legos are all different colors, so I can never have something like look. It was just like the oh, rainbow-colored no, no. pirate ship. <laughs> yeah. like it was Everything ready. was it, always rainbow-colored, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't like a standard kit or anything. I just had like a huge tub of, of Legos, yeah, that yeah. I'd play around with. Uh, all right, so um, how did video then enter your story? Was that something you started to get into in high school, or is that something more once you got into college? No, I, <clears throat> I, uh, I was actually really into art and animation. Um, yeah. I've always been artistic and, and creative in that sense. And, um, initially my interest was in art. And so my first year of college, I was an animation major. And, um, that summer, right after my freshman year, I actually got an internship, uh, in the animation department with Walt Disney down in Florida. Yeah. Yeah. And so I went and I spent a year as an intern in Disney animation, thinking that that was the direction that I was going to be, that I was going to be going, that I was going to be heading. But soon after that, the animation department got shut down because they were no longer doing like hand-drawn animation, which was what I was really into. And everybody, you know, because everybody was going to 3D and computer modeling and things like that. And so I, uh, uh, I didn't know what to do. And about that time, I actually moved overseas for a couple of years uh, and lived in China. And while I was over there, you know, like learning the language and the culture and everything like that. And so when I came back, uh, I kind of, I fell back on the only thing that I knew at the time, which was Chinese. And so I declared my major as Chinese and I, uh, I finished the entire program in a semester and a half because I clepped out of everything because I was fluent in Chinese at that point at that moment. And uh, I wrote my senior thesis when I was a sophomore. And after that, I I just needed credits to graduate. And so I would just take a bevy of different classes to see, you know, what kinds of things I was interested in. And my junior year is kind of a almost as kind of a fluke, I took a beginning to film production class. And <clears throat> I got into that class and it, it, the bug bit me. 
like super hard. And I just fell in love with filmmaking. And so the later part of my junior year and all of my senior year, everything was just uh, film production classes from script writing to producing to filming to post-production, everything. So I was I was lucky enough to be able to, you know, to have a focus on something that I was passionate about, you know, for the last year and a half of my schooling. That's nuts. Okay, so I, I definitely have to talk to you about animation then. Um, cause I was definitely the art kid and I wanted to do animation too. I didn't, I didn't do it in college, but then actually once I, uh, prior to getting to the making world, um, I got super into like the kids book side of things as well as the animation side of things. And so I started talking with these, uh, a lot of the artists and, um, a lot of them were current, uh, animators. I had talked with one guy that was like a Pixar, uh, like the Bancroft brothers, like Tom and Anthony, uh, talked with them. And so that, that whole stuff is, is nuts. That's crazy. So you were, you were there then yeah, right before Florida shut down. Is that right? Yep. Is that what you're saying? Yep. Okay. What were you, what were you doing then as an intern? Uh, as an intern, I actually shadowed in, in different departments, but the main department that I was in was, um, uh, was cleanup animation and composition. And so all of the rough sketches, uh, that all the animators would do, we would bring them in, we would scan them into the computer, uh, and then they would go to the cleanup department, which they would take all of those pictures and clean up every line and, you know, everything like that. And then we would take all of those drawings, scan them into the computer. And that's where you get those reels that you see on behind the scenes of animated movies of, you know, the drawn, but not colored characters running through the background and, and so um, <clears throat> the department I was in is is the department where we would we would watch uh, a second and a half or two second clips over and over and over again, trying to trying to nitpick. You know, is this line? It, does this animation do what it's supposed to do? Does is, is this thing that's happening convey what's supposed to be happening? And it was it's it's an amazing process to be behind the scenes on but uh watching the same clip for three hours over <laughs> and over and over you yeah can, yeah you could see oh man it's so tedious it's amazing but it's tedious it's incredible but it's boring it's yeah it's this dichotomy of of just monotony and just complete exhilaration over what you're you know a part of creating yeah yeah so from animation then to film um and especially with your work now, you can definitely tell the storytelling piece is a, a big part of what you do. Um, has it always been something that kind of resonated with you? Just like wanting to tell stories in different mediums? Oh, yeah. I uh, Since I grew up in Montana, I was very involved in... Um, in the Boy Scout programs and wilderness survival and outdoor adventure programs and things like that, because it's just part of the culture and the community up there. And uh, storytelling, storytelling is always a big part of of that kind of culture, because you know you have your campfire stories, you have uh, you know tutorial, you know learning how to do things, and the best way to learn how to do things is to hear a story, because then you resonate with it, connected. And so, uh, growing up in that kind of environment, like I've always loved to hear stories and to tell stories and going uh, from that into animation and then from animation into film just seems like kind of a natural progression where in animation, you're always working to tell somebody else's story. Whereas in film, you know, you, you have a chance depending on, you know, your role and what you do is to, to tell your own story, which yeah. is what I, what is just what I really wanted to do. So, so you graduate, do you go straight into trying to do it yourself and forming your own company? 
Yeah, um, because I, I made the decision early on that I did not want to do the Hollywood route because I had, I had friends and I knew people that, you know, that had done the Hollywood thing. And it's it's a very cutthroat industry. And and I had seen what was going on in social media and online at the time. And I knew that there was a future in that, um, that even though you weren't in Hollywood, that you could still produce content that people would want to watch. And uh, people like Ryan Conley uh, over at Film Riot, uh, like early on, he was his uh, style was a really big influencer for me, especially integrating like a little skit with education, trying to tell the story as you're trying to teach people how to do things, uh, which is actually something that I still try and do with, you know, the videos that I create is, you know, try to tell a little story to set up the need for what I'm trying to build and then, you know, go ahead and, you know, do the tutorial on how to build. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's nuts. So when you, how, how long were you doing that then? Uh, doing, I guess, was you, were you running the film studio? I mean, were you yeah. much in charge? Yeah. Okay. I, uh, um, I was the creative director for the studio and I, I ended up partnering with a few different other filmmakers in the area and, uh, we all just, uh, worked together for, for years from 2012 until, you know, 2017. Gotcha. What type of projects were you guys doing? Uh, we did everything. I mean, we did the work that, you know, you have to do as a filmmaker, you know, shooting the commercials or the promo videos or the, uh, the corporate videos and things like that. I did a lot of corporate type stuff. Uh, but then on the side we would do, uh, film competitions. And, uh, the big thing was like the 24 hour film race that was here. Uh, the 48 hour film race, we went to the dead center film festival and, uh, the red dirt film festival and, uh, bare bones and like all these other different kind of film festivals to, to be, to take part in, but also to, you know, just be around other people that, that were in that community and part of that culture. Cause Tulsa is, it's an amazing place. Uh, it really is, but it, it's not exactly the hub of, of anything when it comes to culture, even woodworking. Um, it's really hard to be a, a woodworker <laughs> here in Tulsa, um, just because of, of, availability to like materials and opportunities and things like that. Uh, whereas if I lived anywhere else, you know, whether I go East or West, it seems like I would have more availability and opportunities to do things, but you know, I live where I live, so I, I have to make the best of it. Yeah. Yeah. So you're doing that. And then you mentioned, so then you transitioned straight into running a furniture company. Is that right? Or just, just the wood shop. Yeah. Just the wood shop. Yep. Was that, were you making I guess, I mean, you're definitely making, if you're doing film, like having to, I mean, you're building all your rigs and that kind of stuff, but were you also building stuff for your kids at the same time? Or well, did you I was, have- I was like making things for my kids. I, I would make like superhero, I would sew like superhero capes and superhero outfits and I would make little wood swords and toy boxes and, uh, chests and things like that. Um, but I wasn't like making, making anything and I didn't have like a shop or anything like that. I had just a, you know, a couple tools and things like that. And I think it was it was a little bit of a surprise for my family because I I had actually thought everything out for the entire summer of, of 2016, and 
Because I wanted to know, like, if I was going to do this, how am I going to do this? So I wrote down a business plan. I wrote down a one-year plan. I wrote down a list of, you know, potential projects. I was like, this is what I want to do. This is how I'm going to get the materials. This is how I'm going to make money. This is the different revenues I'm going to pursue and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so on Christmas of uh, 2016, I actually sat down with, you know, with my wife and my kids and my parents and my grandparents and like the whole family and, and just kind of unloaded everything on them. I'm like, I've, I've decided that I'm going to open a shop and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to try it for a year. And if it works out, that's great. I'll continue to pursue it. If not, then we'll just say that this was (laughs) kind of a fluke and, you know, it was fun while it lasted, but let's try something else. So, and that was, you said that was Christmas of 2016? Yep, Christmas of 2016, because January 1st, 2017 is when I um, made the plunge, I guess you could say. I registered for the domain. I, I registered an LLC. I, you know, ordered business cards. I did everything in one night because yeah. I was like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it now and get everything out of the way and then just start working. So you're a little over a year later. Yep. Look, looking at the business plan you initially made, how much of that still is true? Like, what, what what's changed since then? Oh, a lot. Because um, initially, uh, the focus uh, for the beardless man was going to be uh, about doing projects that weren't necessarily manly, but doing it in a manly manner. Like if you go back, like in my first several posts on Instagram, it's very much that uh, folk you know, desaturated that, that folk feeling. That was the feeling I was going for because I wanted to do, uh, you know, I wanted to do projects where it's like, it's sewing, but like a man or knitting, but like a man. And like, uh, it even, that's even why, uh, in my early videos, I, I wear the same outfit, which is the lumberjack, uh, yeah, the flannel, the box checker, um, you know, everything was intentional trying to, trying to show that like, yes, I am manly, even though what I'm doing right now may not be manly. Um, and so all of the projects that I had thought about doing were along those lines were kind of, you know, the more atypically effeminate things, but like trying to put a manly spin on it. Um, but I knew that I wanted my first project to be the Millennium Falcon Theater, uh, because I had had that idea in my mind for a while and I just wanted to do it and make it just to get it out of my head and into the world. And, but it was never my, it was never my goal and never my intention with this wood shop to like, to focus on, <laughs> to focus on geeky things, which is, which is what I do with uh, like geek dad DOI. That was never my goal. Um, but I, I did the Millennium Falcon Theater and it got picked up, picked up by like Nerdist and, you know, news outlets in California and Brazil and China and like Italy and all this other kind of stuff. And it just kind of exploded for like three days. And, uh, and it just kind of clicked, um, where I thought to myself, you know, I could specialize in just making geek related material. Cause it, I figured if I could get myself into a niche that like, that people were really passionate about and really interested about that I could find an audience. And I realized that by specifically niching myself into geek dad DIY, I'm actually reaching a broader audience that I would be if I was just say doing woodworking or like any other general, you know, tutorials and things like that. Because, uh, 
you know, doing the the projects that I do now, I like, I can appeal to geeks. I can appeal to dads. I can appeal to moms. I can appeal to woodworkers. I can appeal to fabricators. Like there's all these different branches that I can appeal to by doing this one very niche thing rather than, you know, say like building benches or entertainment centers or things like that. So it, it kind of worked out. Um, but it was never, it was never the goal. It was never the intention for it to go that direction. So you mentioned that first video was the Millennium Falcon Theater Mm -hmm. and your very next one was the K2SO. And then I'm going through like the rest of them and I'm like, yep, they're all the geek, like that geek dad DIY. Did, was that a, like a conscious decision right after you saw that blow up or were you still kind of pushing towards maybe more of the, the girly man no, I, I was still pushing towards the the folksy, you know, manly but not manly route. So like my my actually my next project after the the Millennium Falcon Theater, I think was going to be uh, deck chairs. Um, and then, you know, to sew the sew the little cushions that go on the deck chairs and, the, you know, all that kind of stuff uh, that was going to be the next the next one. But then uh you know, my, my kids and I really like star Wars. Star Wars is a big part of (laughs) big part of our family. And, um, uh, rogue one was about to come out and I'm like, you know what, if I want to capitalize on this moment of, you know, a movie coming out and I just did a star Wars build, I could do a build really quick build for rogue one and make the helmet and then go back to what I was originally going to try to do. But after, after the millennium Falcon, uh, build, and then after K2SO, it, it really, that's, that's what solidified it. Those two projects in a row just kind of sent me down this path of geek dad DIY, which I am, which I am currently on. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, all right, so I definitely want to get into the project we were going to talk about today. Your the laser cut Game Boy. Uh, I didn't realize your st- story has so many twists or turns. So uh, I got a lot of stories. Go, I know it's it's awesome. No, this is really good. So uh, so this one might go a little bit longer. But um, all right, so at that time you're you're building um, like props. Uh, you're doing that kind of stuff. When did I guess laser printing and 3D printing, and then I saw that you you also were a member of a makerspace there in Tulsa. Is that kind of opened you up to those tools? Is that right? Yeah, it's it's actually because of the Fab Lab uh, here in Tulsa that that I kind of branched out into this into this area. I um I I was well, I was working out of my garage at at home, but for what I wanted to do and the, the kinds of projects that I was thinking about doing, like. I need more tools or I needed more space or I needed something, you know, I couldn't be working out of my garage. And so I, um, I tried looking around to see if there was any, any kind of like maker spaces because on the, on the other podcasts, the other woodworking podcasts that I listen to, um, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll make mention of like a maker space or, you know, fab lab or things like that. And I didn't know if we had anything like that in our area. But I looked up and found out that, yeah, there actually is a fab lab uh, here in Tulsa uh, that conveniently is uh, right next to downtown where I work in downtown Tulsa. And so one day on my lunch break, I went and I took a tour and uh, they showed me all of the equipment in the, this entire fabrication area that they have, uh, you know, set up that, you know, for a small monthly fee, I can have access to. And so I jumped right on board with that because uh, with its proximity to downtown, I could, um, 
you know, on my lunch breaks, I could go to the fab lab. I could do work on a project that I wanted to work on and then, you know, go back to work. And in the evenings I can come home and take care of my family and not have to worry about, you know, oh, I need to work on this or I need to make this because it's, you know, I could already had that done at lunchtime. And so I, I got the membership at Faba really excited about using a CNC machine and learning how to do all the different things that, that a CNC is capable of doing. Cause I really wanted to pursue that avenue of, of like fabrication, especially with, you know, raising money and for the projects that I wanted to do, doing the things that I needed to do to get the money to do the projects I wanted to do. And, uh, I learned pretty quickly uh that cnc and machines and i uh we we don't get along very well at all it <laughs> yeah. was it was a very tumultuous relationship right out of the right out the gate and so um i decided to try something else while i took a break from cnc and they were offering a class on how to use a laser cutter and so i took the class and uh and they're, they're like, okay, you know, this, this is the program that we use. Inkscape is really easy to learn how to use. This is how you, you know, bring a picture in. This is how you turn it into a bitmap. And all you need to do is take that picture into the laser cutter and press a button and you're good to go. And I was like, this is amazing. I need to do something with this. And so I was trying to figure out how I can make, how I could like make some little geeky thing out of the laser cutter. And I, uh, I had just gotten a, uh, a Game Boy, a DMG, one of the original Game Boys. Uh, I just bought one of those off of a guy on Craigslist and was playing Link's Awakening on the Game Boy. And I I was like, well, you know, I really like the, the Game Boy. I really like this game. Why don't I just make like a little cartridge? Because you can layer it and you can like etch the designs in, in the top. Why don't I just make this little cartridge for the Game Boy? And I did, and it was really easy, and I cut it out, and I had this little cartridge, and I was so proud of myself <laughs> that it was not this hard, arduous process like it was trying to do stuff on the CNC machine. And so it after I had that little Game Boy cartridge, I'm like, well, why don't I just make a Game Boy to go along with it? And so I, uh, I, I, it actually took about like three or four hours to go through and design each little element for each layer uh, of the of the Game Boy until I came up with you know the these laser cut Game Boys that you know people see on my Instagram feed now. That's awesome. So going through, I guess, the process of the build, you said you're using Inkscape, is that right? Yeah, for Inkscape. The design piece? I know a lot of people use like Adobe Illustrator or uh, Photoshop or something like that, but um, the uh, the computers that are available for use at the Fab Lab don't, don't have any of that. What they have is free software, and Inkscape is a free, you know, free program that's that's compatible with Mac and Windows and Linux, and you can get it on, you know, anything. And so, um, I decided to focus on learning how to use Inkscape rather than trying to use Adobe Creative Suite because if I just focused on Adobe, I would only have access to it on one computer at my house and I can only do it. But if I, you know, learned how to get good at Inkscape, then I can use it on any computer that I, you know, sat in front of. And so I, uh, it's actually not that hard. Uh, It's really intuitive and it's really easy to be able to just draw shapes and things like that to to create things in Inkscape. Yeah, that's cool. So, were you taking the measurements then off of like an actual physical that physical Game Boy that you got? Yeah. Like, so, the, so the Game Boy that I got, I, I 
I mean, essentially what I did is I went in and I took one of those little measuring calipers and just took measurements off of everything on the Game Boy and then matched the measurements to the little picture that I drew drawn in Inkscape and then just did that layer by layer until, you know, I had the top all the way down to the bottom, even the little notches in for the, you know, design and the grooves on the back and, you know, the battery cover. And I tried to make it as realistic as possible. Yeah. So do you have, do you have just that one that you're, you're for oh, people that are listening, you're you, like, you've got it in your hand. Yeah. This, this one muffles? is actually the original, the first one that okay, I ever cool. made. I'm very proud of this, even though it looks horrible. <laughs> it's one of those things when from far away, you're like, wow, that looks amazing. And then you it look, looks, yeah, it looks really close, cool. On video. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, no, I actually, from the first design that I made, um, where it only had the cartridge and it had the diorama built into the Game Boy uh, um, to the model where I have the cartridge with the diorama built into the cartridge. I think I, I think I did like seven different iterations and printed out 20 to 30 different Game oh, Boys. Wow. Yeah. Gotcha. So those are interchangeable cartridges? Yeah, is that? they're all interchangeable okay. cartridges. So all you need to do is have one Game Boy, and then you can change out the cartridge with any game you want to. Like the real thing, yeah. yeah. What uh, what games have you have you made for it? Uh, so I've made Link's Awakening. I've made Tetris. Uh, I made Baseball uh, for Iconic CNC. I sent yeah. him a Game Boy, uh, and he really liked the, the Game Boy game Baseball, and so I made one uh, of Baseball. I've made uh, Metroid 2 Return of Samus. Um, I've made... I think that's about it. And I've got designs for other games, but I just haven't printed them out yet because nobody's wanted one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because I mean, this uh, at the time of this recording, or when this goes this live, is this upcoming Saturday. So I mean, the the build video is only what a couple weeks old. Is that right? Yeah, that you've got on YouTube. Okay. Yep. Uh, that's it's so cool. Um, yeah, I, I definitely saw. It might have been your uh, the Thor throne dock. I think was the first maybe laser project that I saw you did, and then I saw these Game Boys popping up everywhere. I'm like, what is this thing? And then I was like, oh, this is this is super cool. So what? Um, you mentioned you've made a bunch of different designs. Uh, what's that kind of iteration process like for you? Um, of how I create the cartridges, or yeah, the the cartridges, or um, even the Game Boy itself. Were there big changes to that, other than the fact that you can change out the cartridge? Yeah, well, that was that was the biggest uh, change. Um, one of the the big things was trying to figure out the spacing um, to where you know the the diorama was deep enough that it looked cool, but not too deep that, you know, you lose structure in the little pieces because, you know, some of those pieces are really tiny. And, uh, and so I went from like one layer to two layers to three layers to four layers, you know, and then slowly worked back to, to two layers to three layers deep and figured that that was, you know, the best, you know, the best depth for having a, a good diorama. And the biggest thing was just trying to figure out a way to get the Game Boy to fit right into the cartridge because uh, the plywood is very, it's a very interesting material to work with because not every piece is the same, um, you know, and there's these millimeter, I mean, just small micro differences between one piece of plywood and the other um but when you stack those small differences on top of each other you know it it, it ends up being to the point where sometimes the cartridge won't fit in the game boy or it's too small or you know and so just trying to figure out 
how I can produce these to the point where I can produce a Game Boy and I can produce a cartridge knowing that it will fit in, you know, into the Game Boy every time. And that that took a while to try and, you know, to to figure all those points out. But I've I've gotten it to the point to where now it's it's kind of an easy process to to just go in, alter the template for like the cartridge if I want to do a different game or if I want to make like any little tweaks to the Game Boy itself, put somebody's name on it or a different logo or a different design, things like that. And then I can just take that in and print out a new one and you know have it be done pretty quick. Is it uh, is it quarter inch plywood that you're using? Uh, it's three millimeter inch plywood. Oh, three millimeter. So okay. it's, it's about an eighth of an inch, I think, is the the imperial equivalent. Jeez, yeah, it's that is real tiny. Yeah, I feel like any any plywood I get is just bent all over the place oh, by yeah. the time I get it home. So, yeah. have you ever um, have you ever tried using like hardwood that's that you get like plain down or, or jointed or, or straight? Yeah, I'm. I, the thing about I have a love hate relationship with hardwood. I'm actually working on a project right now trying to create a uh, treasure chest from Sea of Thieves, which is a new game that comes out at the end of the month. And it's all about pirates and they have these really iconic treasure chests. And I want to make one and I want to make it out of hardwood. But um, the place where I live, the only availability for any kind of hardwoods is Woodcraft. Um, cause every other hardwood distributor in the area, um, has shut down and it's gone out of business. And so there's nowhere to get hardwoods except for, um, independent, uh, uh, tree cutting companies, which want like 16 to $32 a board foot for, for lumber, which is insanely expensive or woodcraft, uh, which is also, which is also insanely expensive, uh, and so I, I want to work with hardwoods. I really do. But um, considering the fact that like the projects that I make, I only sell for like fifteen dollars um, for like my arcades, my coin banks, um, uh, you know, for the for the game board couches and things like that. I really don't charge very much. And so I'm not I'm not making enough money uh, doing these to be able to afford the, the nicer things. So, yeah, I'd like to work with hardwoods. But, you know, for the time being, I'm, you know, plywood and construction pine no that's that's i mean yeah that makes it super hard if you can't get it close so we've got i'm i'm uh, about an hour east of atlanta and so we've got a couple like just out in the boonie places like sawmills that people just have that so i can get some stuff but yeah it's that stuff gets expensive when it's like a yeah woodcraft or a um yeah yeah those, those, i mean those, like, i, I uh, got for for the pecori uh wall art that that I did my most recent video, I got little eighth inch strips of hardwoods like yellow heart and bloodwood and uh, cherry and uh, you know, just a couple different varieties, even, even some that I didn't end up putting in the final, in the final piece. And man, they are gorgeous woods. They are amazing to work with like, um, but they're just, yeah, they're out of, out of my price range for the moment. Yeah. Oh, totally. I, I totally get it. Uh, and then I saw that you see you mentioned the, the game, um, the, I guess the classic arcade cabinets. Is that, is that what you call them? I'm trying to think yeah, of the, the right the term. Arcade. Like Dragon's Lair yep. and everything. Yep. And so, yeah, I saw that one pop up and I was like, Stranger, Stranger Things. This is, this is amazing. Knowing that the Stranger Things was a throwback to the arcade stuff. But, so did you see those projects popping up or was that something you decided to try to do too? Yeah, I was, uh, one day I was sitting around trying to get an idea for something else that I could try making on a laser cutter besides, besides the Game Boys. Um, and I saw this little design for an arcade cabinet 
that was, you know, not very big. And I was like, well, if I just, if I just take that design and I blow it up a little bit and then I create the graphics, um, you know, for the side and for the screen and everything like that, I can make it look like an actual arcade. Uh, and so I, I went and I did one for, you know, like you said, Dragon's Lair, and I did one for Mario and Donkey Kong and Space Invaders and Tron and, you know, and a few other ones. Because um, at that time, I was also preparing for Maker Faire here in Tulsa, and I wanted to have something that I could take to show people, hey, this is the kind of stuff that I make. And um you know, and to sell them because I had a booth. And so I was, I was trying to pump out all these different varieties of, of arcades for, you know, for people to gawk at. Yeah. What's been your most popular item to sell at those type of events? At those type of events? Um, the Mario question blocks. Yeah. Yeah. I totally, how big are this? Uh, they're, I have a couple different versions. The The main one is three inches by three inches. Okay. And then I have a bigger one that's five inches by five inches. So That's cool. That's real cool. Uh, well, I know we're going uh, going long, but the, I guess the last thing I wanted to, to chat with you about, uh, also one of the, the posts that I saw uh, on Instagram that made me like stop for a second was you had like a really dusty, what looked like a, like a C100 in your shop it's like hold up like this guy first off this guy knows how to do video stuff and he's got like this super expensive camera in his shop so what's it like uh having that video background because i mean your very first video is i mean very polished you've you've got the story elements um has that has it been been weird to bring video into making or does it just feel really natural since you've been doing it for so long um it's uh in this space, with with so much of an emphasis on video production, um, I I'm glad that I have that background. Um, in terms of because I feel like I'm lagging behind greatly uh, in terms of like woodworking <laughs> and and like making anything compared to everybody else. Because um, you know I've I've had the opportunity to meet and talk to so many people in this maker space that are just leaps and bounds above what my current capacities are for for woodworking or designing or anything like that that I just I just stand in awe of you know what they're able to accomplish but I was like um the one thing that I knew that that I was good at was was filmmaking and so I wanted to to be able to you know focus on what I was good at <laughs> and then you know try and try and figure out the other stuff like the woodworking so for like you were talking about my uh, my first video looking polished, the video may have looked polished, but, um, but the one thing about that video is that every single shot of that video was filmed on different days, and it took three months for me to make that for me to make that Millennium Falcon theater. And if you pay close attention, there's actually three different Millennium Falcon theaters because really yeah okay. I had to rebuild that thing three different times. Um, just because I, I had no idea what I was doing. And so I would like get to a point and then I would destroy it and have to start over and do it again. And then I would destroy it. And yeah, so the video may look polished, but the project itself was, <laughs> was definitely not polished. Yeah. Is that hard uh, going from, I imagine you mentioned wanting to get into doing feature film. And I mean, that timeline I can imagine is forever going into YouTube where, I mean, some people are pumping out like multiple videos a week. Uh, is that, is that weird to transition into that? Um, no, I mean, 
the the biggest thing is when you're when you're making films you're working with a crew you're working with a team there's people that can do things whereas in this space what i'm doing now like i do everything and so uh you know i have to set up the camera i have to set up the mic i have to set up the lighting i have to set up the tools i have to you know make sure everything is right and then i hit record and then i make a cut and then i change the lighting i change the angle i change the camera i change so there's so much there's so much work that goes on off camera um that it's it's kind of overwhelming sometimes it's actually why it takes me so long to put out videos i would love to be able to put out a video a week um and i i have my idea book of projects and I've gotten to the point where I think I have three and a half years worth of video content crammed into my book with designs and sketches and, you know, everything that I need. Um, but I just, I can't with, with how I produce things that, you know, I can't, I can't put stuff out fast enough because I do everything on my lunch break. And so I, I work downtown, I get in my car, I go to Fab Lab, I change because I wear the same outfit in every movie. And so I change, I set up my camera, I set up the tools, I uh, get my material, I turn everything on, I make my cut, and then I turn, you know, clean up my space, I turn the camera off, I put everything away, I change again, and then I go back, and then I go back to work. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's basically I, I work through lunch to get one shot. Uh, for every single one of my videos. So the the general rule when watching anything that I've created is that every shot was filmed on a different day. Jeez, yeah, I can't I can't imagine. That's that's nuts. It's almost I do a little bit of video stuff for the day job, not to the extent that, that you've done, but it's almost that that curse of knowledge of like you know how good something could look because you've got all the tools, like you know what to do. Yeah. Versus like I just need to get this shot and be done with it. Yeah. So I don't care if I've got three point lighting and all this stuff set up. So And it's terrible because like I want to have unique shots and I want to have unique angles that that aren't this typical, you know, set a tripod, go make cuts, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so because, because I want to do more with my video, it takes away from being able to do more with, you know, woodworking and have time to do, yeah. <laughs> to do yeah, stuff yeah. like that. That's cool. Well, man, I appreciate your, your time and, uh, and chat with me. Yeah. Anytime. And, uh, like I said, I have lots of stories. So whenever you want yeah, to talk. I will, I will definitely have to have you back on. This was, this was a blast. Uh, for, for those that aren't familiar with your stuff, uh, the beardlessman.com is that the best place you send people? Yeah. The beard, I, I actually, I'm also building a website, uh, in Dreamweaver, which isn't done yet. And so the beardlessman.com just points to my YouTube page. That's your YouTube. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. And then, uh, is it I am the beardless man? Yes, on I Instagram? am the beardless okay. man. It's not the beardless man. Uh, that guy doesn't like me very much uh, because a lot of people have gone to him thinking he was me and talked yeah. to him thinking that he's me. And no, there's a little bit of a little <laughs> bit of a crowbar separation between the beardless man and I am the beardless man. So yeah, on on uh, on Instagram, it's I am the beardless man. That's cool. Well, man, well, thank you so much for for chatting. It was uh, it was a blast. Yeah, I had fun. Thanks. Thank you.